interrupting our usual program today, we share a conversation from Bikta Meets, a new film series where Bikta experts meet innovators whose work is transforming our world. This episode discusses how the pandemic accelerated real estate trends, and we're joined by Alice Charles, World Economic Forum Project Lead in Cities, and Solt Kolarmi, Global Head of Real Estate and Co-CEO of Bikte Alternative Advisors. To view the full video, head over to group.bikte slash Meets, or follow the link in this episode description. the real estate industry needs to recognize that there's actually an opportunity to supply housing for the lower and middle end of the market. So we get a, a much greater demand supply equilibrium. Welcome to Pictet Meets. I'm Jolt Kuhami, Global Head of Real Estate and co-CEO of Pictet Alternative Advisors. And today's talk is about the cities of tomorrow. You know, the pandemic has changed many realities of the cities and we would like to see how we will make these cities better for the challenges that we will face in the 21st century. Real estate is a long-term game and and we see that technology is finally affecting real estate. One of the very last bastions is being affected. Sustainability is finally coming to real estate as well, as we realize that we're the largest carbon emitters and increasingly both tenants and investors, again, want more sustainable buildings. And then, and then finally, it's the well-being. We all want to focus more on feeling better within the buildings we're at. In every building that we refurbish, we try to bring the outside inside. It's one of the, one of the key design trends that I think will shape the future. Today, we're here with Alice Charles, who has over 19 years experience in urban planning, development, and real estate. And she leads the urban and real estate efforts at the World Economic Forum here in Geneva. So a warm welcome to you, Alice. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I think the first question would really be around the pandemic, COVID, and its effects on, on, on cities and the urban environment. And, you know, what I always like to say is that there are certain key underlying trends have been accelerated through the pandemic. And what would be great to get your views on is how do you see these trends that have accelerated? Which one of these do you see as more permanent or which one of these do you see as more temporary? And we will just revert to the, let's say, to the old normal. So I think we've seen huge shifts um, in cities and indeed in real estate since uh, the onset of COVID-19. And if I think about those in terms of, you know, first of all, we've seen sort of human behavioral shifts, right? So we, of course, have had to embrace uh, working from home. And I think one of the things is we have never spent as much time in our homes. And in fact, I'm working from my home right now. Um, but the other side is that that completely shifts the way we look at the office environment. And, you know, even returning to the office, we're likely to return to the office in a more hybrid manner. I think another thing we've seen in our cities, it's fair to say that we had an affordable housing crisis before COVID-19, but it's been exacerbated by COVID-19. So, you know, we've seen a lot of people losing their jobs. 
and um, people losing their homes and indeed more and more people requiring social and affordable housing. And I think it's also made us realise, you know, if I use the example of Lisbon, they realised how far their key workers were living from the city. So, you know, they're thinking about how they could use all of this housing accommodation that was previously used for tourism, Airbnb, etc., and how they could become a mass landlord and rent some of that property um, back to key workers so that they're actually living much closer to their work and not having such long commutes. I think the other thing that we've seen is a huge shift in terms of mobility within our cities. You know, people were realizing that it may be difficult to travel on public transport uh, during the pandemic. And I think that the the cycling culture and the, the walking culture is something that's here to stay. The final thing just to say is that in terms of city budgets, city budgets have never been in a, a worse position than they are right now. So, it, you know, COVID-19 has resulted in revenues um, being reduced in terms of car parking charges, toll charges, for example, property taxes, we're seeing more vacant buildings, uh, returns and investments have reduced, but costs have increased in terms of sanitation, health, etc. National government is equally in financial difficulty in terms of having borrowed uh, very significantly. So cities are going to have to think differently about how they access finance um, to build back better. And, and that's a very significant challenge that they're going to have to deal with in the next number of years. Uh, thanks. That's a, that's a lot of themes that I would have a lot of follow-on questions. So I guess perhaps let's start with one, which is around the office point that you mentioned, because I think, you know, the counter arguments are that young people's training is very difficult without, uh, without an office environment. So young people suffer, so to say, in terms of their opportunities. Um, there is a thing, there's a mental health point around this. We are essentially social animals and the, the longer we stay at home, we don't have business socialization, which it turns out is a very important part of our mental stability next to private socialization. Um, and, that, and, and the Harvard Business School study about that they did with 3 million people that showed that 90% of innovation happens in those 10% by chance encounters at cafes or at the coffee um, uh, station at an office or so on. And so that you're missing on a Zoom call like ours because you can't have multiple by chance interactions. So um, I guess the first thing is what does an office give you? Three C's I think is what I've heard JLL say in the past. It gives you culture, it gives you colleagues, it gives you collaboration. Um, and to, to your point um, around it, it has had an adverse effect on many people's uh, mental health, particularly people who are on their own, maybe young people who are earlier in their careers, young people who don't have the facilities to work from home very easily, right? They're sharing um, an apartment with other young people. They're all trying to work from their living room. It's not very sustainable. And um, also, you know, The Economist very recently was sort of looking at productivity during COVID-19. And I guess many of us would say, oh, you know, we're just as productive um, before COVID-19 as COVID-19 working from home. But many would not say that. And I think what The Economist was saying was actually, well, what we were doing since COVID-19 was working longer hours. So in essence, we have not been as productive as we were. We're spending copious amounts of time on Zoom calls. Um, and then we actually have to do work at another point in time, which we're sort of doing late into the night when normally we would be 
not connected to work. So in that sense, I think that many employers are seeing the need to bring people back, to allow this collaboration, allow innovation, to allow this sort of balance between um, work and, and having a life. But I don't believe the office is dead. Uh, let's talk a little bit about inequality. Obviously, it's been a problem in major cities for a while, and it's really accelerated over the pandemic. You've obviously had the, the blue-collar worker who had to stay home and had really reduced income, while whilst m many people who already had a good life maybe did even better by being able to work from home, um, and, and, even the, and even the capital markets had done well. So how do we address this problem that hasn't improved and in fact with rising residential prices almost almost universally globally is probably been enhanced throughout the pandemic what are the thoughts on how we can address this problem because i guess healthy cities entail the right for everybody to live in them not just uh, uh, the few fortunate mm, absolutely i think the first thing is Inequality existed before COVID-19. COVID-19 has managed to shine a light on the inequalities that existed within our cities. And a, a really good example is homelessness. We had a significant homelessness problem in our cities before COVID-19, but all, you know, we were seeing homeless people on the streets. We were seeing that they weren't protected. They, you know, so I, I think it managed to shine a light on that problem. Equally, we did have an affordable housing crisis before COVID-19. But again, you know, it, what COVID-19 has done has managed to shine a light on it. Let's look at affordable housing. So the reality is that if you talk to the real estate sector, they will tell you there's an oversupply at the upper end of the market and there's an undersupply at the lower end of the market. I think that the real estate industry needs to recognise that there's actually an opportunity to supply housing for the lower and middle end of the market um, and you know so that so we get a, a much greater sort of demand supply equilibrium but the other side is government has got to build houses and if you think about places where they don't have an affordable housing crisis like singapore Singapore, 88% of, of their population live in public housing. They have a huge public housing body that's responsible for providing public housing. And if we contrast that with Hong Kong, which is um, you know, a city that competes regularly with Singapore, Hong Kong has one of the, you know, the, the most significant affordable housing crises in the world um, and is not building housing. So there's, you know, there is a lesson there that certainly the public sector need to recognise that they also have a role to play in building and providing housing, um, you know, to, to provide this balance. And equally, the real estate sector need to realise the market opportunity here. Again, shifting gears, perhaps one more time. So, well-being is obviously something that I think we've all become more focused on. Uh, since the pandemic kicked off and 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 the areas we live work and play and have a very big effect on our on our on our well-being so it'd be great to get your thoughts on how you see that improving going forward what are what are the key things we can do to improve the well-being within our cities so um you know when we had the spanish flu one of the things that resulted was many homes particularly in the united states um 
building a water closet afterwards to allow you to immediately to wash your hands upon entry. Um, we, when we had the cholera pandemic in London, it resulted in um, sewage systems being introduced to try and ensure that that was prevented. So I, I think that um, post COVID-19, we are going to have a much greater uh, recognition of the need for public health uh, officials and urban planners to work together to think about how we plan space. I think we're going to think very differently about the design of the homes in which we live in um, so that they're better designed to be uh, conducive to good physical and mental health. The other thing is that we are demanding and I'm seeing this demand for uh, much greater green space and whether that's you know, a green roof on a building, a green wall in a building, a local park or a large park, there's this greater demand for green space. And we know that having access to green space is good for both our physical and mental health. It's also good for reducing our stress levels, right? So um, we know nature is good for us. So then I think there's going to be a huge focus on ensuring we're breathing clean air um, in, in our buildings. Um, another thing in a city context is air pollution is something that unfortunately existed in most cities around the world, Delhi and Beijing, it's a much worse problem than we would experience in many of our cities in Europe. But certainly, I think um, there's been a much greater focus on addressing air quality within outdoor air quality uh, within our cities as well, because, of course, with something like COVID-19, the air we breathe impacts our outcomes uh, if we get COVID. So in that context, there's again a big focus on how we reduce overall emissions within the city, but also what kind of nature based solutions can we implement to try and uh, address the problem. And I, I think what would be great is if you could give a couple of examples of cities that you feel are leading the way in these various areas that you feel are, are, are already approaching, approaching this future that we're talking about perhaps today. So um, I, I'm going to mention Melbourne because over the last decade, it's consistently one of the most livable cities in the world. You know, so they've brought about interventions of bringing back living to their city centre, having this concept where they're, you know, creating uh, environments where people can live, work and play uh, within 20 minutes of their home, having mixed tenures, public transit led development. So they've had a huge overhaul in the city. Also, I want to cite the city of Helsinki. You know, for example, they have all of their uh, senior officials all trained in the use of artificial intelligence. They have a chief digital officer. They have, you know, a chief data officer, a chief information officer. One of the things that they were able to do, for example, is by utilizing their data, a very simple system, they were able to automate some of the services that they provide. One, for example, was where, um, you know, a huge amount of work was put into uh, parents having to pick the school that they would send their child to when um, they reached school-going age. And they basically were able to analyse all the data they had on their system, understand which parents would have children of school-going age, then just send parents an SMS with the suggested school, which was beside where they lived, and saying, do you want to pick the school or not? It saved them a 
copious amount of time, energy, resources in just helping parents very quickly pick their school. So I think that, um, you know, that's an example where they're using data analysis to help them better uh, provide services. Helsinki is a really good example in terms of thinking about how they can embrace technology uh, within the city. Well, Alice, thank you very much for today, for this really comprehensive overview of how, you know, how, how we become equal to some of the big challenges. The challenges are great. We know in, in making our cities a bit more livable and better from all these different aspects that we discussed today. And, and, and thank you for the insights on, on showing us some of the ways that we could achieve them. And also uh, right now, you're citing some of the examples, concrete examples of where it's happening already. So thank you so much for today. Cheers. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.